Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. Those of you who've been listening for years and paying attention know that's the code to how many guests we have on the show. Welcome. For those of you coming back from Memorial Day weekend in the U.S., I hope you had a good relaxing holiday and celebrated the reason for Memorial Day. We have an interesting show for you today, a little bit different than usual. We did something similar a couple months ago in March 2021, and we're going to talk about IoT, Internet of Things, in the news, ripped from the headlines, part two. So let me start out with the quote. I found a quote. Uh, actually, I think Tom Raftery is one of our guests today, showed me where to find this quote. It's from a website called Big Think. I like that, bigthink.com. And they discovered a visionary quote by Nikola Tesla, who lived from 1856 to 1943. And this was from a 1926 interview, yeah, just a couple weeks ago, with Collier's Magazine, where he described the modern-day smartphone. Listen to this. Now, remember, this was from 1926. Do the math. Almost 100 years ago. Nikola Tesla said, when wireless is perfectly applied, and he used the word wireless, the whole earth will be converted into a huge brain, which it is, in fact, all things being particles of a real and rhythmic whole. How poetic. We shall be able to communicate with one another instantly, irrespective of distance. And he went on to say not only this, but through television and telephony. We shall see and hear one another as perfectly as though we were face-to-face. Now, here we are, 2021, face-to-face on Zoom. Interesting. Despite intervening distances of thousands of miles, and the instruments through which we shall be able to do this will be amazingly simple compared with our present telephone. A man, I'm going to say a woman, anybody, will be able to carry one in their vest pocket. So let's fast forward to today, the Internet of Things, a.k.a. IoT. It's crossed over into mainstream commercial and business use. We all live with some sort of connectivity, whether you know it or not. And I Googled IoT Trends 2021, and I only got 75.7 million results in 0.49 seconds. That tells you how fast the world. I know, Rob, Tiffany, whatever it is. I know. That's I know, Rob. It's just so outdated. So what would Nikola Tesla say about how IoT impacts data analytics, computing at the edge, remote work? Well, we all live through a year of that. Some of us are still doing it. Remote healthcare, okay, robotics, smart homes. Let's find out who has one. Life in the cities, automation. I'm still going on. Smart retail, cybersecurity, industrial equipment monitoring, and customer experience. IoT is part of all of those. So here are my special guests today. We have Don Deloche. For the people who will eventually hopefully see part of this video, why don't you all just wave hello when I call your name, Don Deloche at Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. Hi, Don. We have Tom Raftery at SAP sporting a new white summer hat and a cooler with something interesting in it. We won't ask what that is. We have Dave Friedman at AYLA, A-Y-L-A Networks. Welcome, Dave. You were on my Technology Revolution show last week. We have Rob Tiffany at Ericsson back. Hello, Rob. And we have Ron Rock at MicroShare Inc. Hi, Ron. Hope you're well. And I'm going to ask them to unpack IoT in the news, rip from the headlines, Part two. Bonnie in the house, happy to be here. Let's do a quick roundtable of bios in case there's, there might be three people in the whole world who don't know who any of you are. I, we're going to have to find them and just tell them. So let's do this politely. Don Deloche, why don't you take about two minutes, remind us who you are, what you do, and what's your interest in IoT. Don, welcome back. Thanks. 
Uh, sure, I'm Don Deloach. Uh, I'm the, the co-founder and managing partner of Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. Uh, we are a, a, a series of venture studios focused on mainly IoT and cyber physical transformation, trying to bring startups from the MVP stage to commercialization. Uh, I've been deeply involved in IoT for the last probably 11 years, uh, and I've been a serial entrepreneur running uh, small venture back for the last 20 plus. And so that I combine my two, uh, two loves of, of startups and, and IoT into Rocket Learning. And that's why I'm here. Thank you very, very much. Appreciate that. Tom Raftery, sporting a summer hat. Anybody who knows Tom knows he never shows up without his hat. And I always <laughs> acknowledge that. So, Tom, refresh <laughs> our memory. What do you do? Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. And thanks for having me on the show. Uh, my name is Tom Raftery. I'm a global VP, futurist and innovation evangelist for SAP. Um, I am heavily into IoT. In fact, I was recruited into SAP back in 2016 initially as an IoT evangelist. And before then, I was working as an industry analyst uh, where I was heading up a, a, a branch of a company called Redmonk, where we focused on energy and sustainability and particularly IoT. And we've called that branch. I led that branch. It was called Greenmonk. Uh, and, you know, IoT has been something that I've been hugely, hugely absorbed in since before 2008, really, because I was looking at it the, in the energy space, in the energy and sustainability space while, while leading Greenmonk. And uh, my role within SAP has changed from being an IoT evangelist to now an innovation evangelist, but it's actually still the same because all that's really changed is the name because it's not like anybody comes to sap and says can i have an iot please you know iot by itself is useless you without the surrounding suite of innovation technologies without the comms without the analytics without the big data without all these other things iot is nothing so innovation and iot go hand in hand really Thank you very much, Tom. Happy to have you back. Thanks for that overview. Appreciate it. Let's go to Dave Friedman. Dave, front and center. Remind everybody who you are. What's your interest in IoT? Dave Friedman. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell the bio a little differently since we've got some visionary people here. I mean, um, I, I came out to the Bay Area with a history degree and uh, start, worked at a couple chip companies, then worked at one doing very low power Wi-Fi because we thought, you know, it would possibly move into things other than your gateway and, and phones. And after that company was sold to a, a customer of ours, a couple of us realized that uh, the internet of things was going to expand much more, but the biggest gap was actually software and all the networking that all these hardware companies didn't know. So I founded a company called Ala Networks in 2010. And um, that, we, that company has continued. I was CEO for eight years and then um, chairman of that. And right now, just enjoying watching all of this happen. I think when we pitched to investors in 2011 or so of, you know, hey, there's this thing called Internet Things. We're going to hook stuff up and it's going to be great. They were all looking at their Blackberries and saying, what's the Internet of Things? So your your search results would have been dramatically different. And uh, I got a lot of uh, doors slammed and boots, um, you know. So uh, the market has changed dramatically over the last 10 years, for sure. 
Thank you very much. Very interesting. We're going to connect a lot of things. I like the way you said that, Dave. We're going to get things and people talking to each other who can't see each other, can't, can't otherwise hear each other. We're going to pass information along without any wires. We're going to be able to help people with their health and with their homes and all that. Oh, it's just one of those things. Thank you very much. Yes, interesting. I was seeing people nod when you were giving your bio, Dave. Yeah, that's interesting. They're just tired. <laughs> no, I didn't say nodding off. I said nodding. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Rob Tiffany, welcome back. Rob, please enlighten us again. What do you do? What's your passion for IoT? Well, uh, Al Gore and I invented the Internet of Things <laughs> a long time ago. And so it's been a long journey from vending machines in the 90s. I'm a big fan of Ayla Networks. I got to help build uh, Azure IoT, which was a fun cloud project. Uh built something called Lumata. It's an industrial IoT platform at Hitachi. Uh, these days, I'm at Ericsson. I've been doing IoT strategy. Uh, recently, though, I'm doing a, I'm going into the basement and I'm working on a not quite totally secret project to rescue the entire Internet of Things ecosystem from complexity and security issues. So that's exciting. Um, I used to drive submarines. And I do write children's books, but they're more like kind of middle grade Harry Potter-ish type stuff, but lots of fantasy and sci-fi and submarines, of course. And there you have it. Wow, that was, I hadn't heard that part of your bio before. We have to talk to you about the children's books. Thank you very much. Ron Rock, so happy to have you here. I met you on our Technology Revolution show last week through Don Deloach, and you were on with Dave Friedman. Ron, please reintroduce yourself. This is a different audience than last week. What do you do and what's your passion for IoT, Ron? Well, well, thanks, Bonnie. But why do I have to be the guy that goes after somebody that drives submarines? <laughs> that just doesn't seem fair. <laughs> um, so, so hello. Thank you for having me back on the show. Uh, I'm a lifelong entrepreneur. I'm the co-founder and CEO of a company called MicroShare. We're a software company, a little bit like David's uh, background. We built a, a platform that runs on AWS or now Azure to manage all these billions of, uh, of data coming from all these different sensors. And it turns out after a lot of years of knocking on doors and getting them shut in our face that nobody wants to buy software. They want to buy solutions. And so while it seems kind of simple today, we were the first to bundle best of breed sensors, network, application, backhaul into business solutions. So now we sell occupancy, predictive cleaning, contact tracing, indoor asset zoning. I like to say tongue in cheek, most of our customers can't spell IoT. And so MicroShare is the company providing those solutions in the commercial real estate space. And we do that at a disruptively low cost using these low powered sensors. And all of that data, all the little pieces of data need to be shared, hence the name MicroShare. How do I bring all that data together to provide solutions for the industry? Thank you. I feel like I have just attended a seminar slash webinar on how the world works technically. Thank you all to the five of you. Just absolutely fascinating. I was just chatting with my engineer and saying this is a powerhouse panel. All of you coming from your background, submarine driving, not, not uh, you know, that's not the feature here, but wow. And children's books and, and inventing, creating, and uh, we can give a, a seminar, a webinar, Ron, to your clients to teach them how to spell IOT. I think we could do that. If they can spell SAP, all three letters with no periods in between, they can 
figure out I with the small O and the capital T. We'll we'll arrange that later. I'm happy to mentor and, and guide that. Let's go to the open. And by the way, we have to do a shout out to Dana Corder at SAP, who is the lady who puts all the work into these shows, getting them together. Thank you, Dana. I told you, you and I could get a panel and get this going. And here we are with five. So this is very exciting. Also, thank you to Ira Burke at SAP for sponsoring this series. I think this is season six or seven. And this is one of our most popular series. And I know why. Here we go. So opening quotes. I've asked my panelists to send me a quote from a movie, a TV show, a song that has nothing to do with Internet of Things. I don't know too many quotes that have something specific to do. Yeah, I think I'll write a song about IoT. Boy, that's going to make the charts. So let's see why they picked the quote and what in their own words it has to do with IoT. Don Deloach, you're up first. Don has picked a quote from Beth Harmon, played by the absolutely stunningly interesting, and she hosted SNL the last show of the season two weeks ago. She was amazing. Anya Taylor-Joy is the actress, the show, the TV miniseries, The Queen's Gambit, a 2020 American coming of age period drama miniseries about a young orphan who learns to be the master of the world at chess. So here's the quote. Do you see it now or should we finish this on the board? Don, help. What does this have to do with IoT? Um, And my friends on this who know me will laugh at this, I'm sure, but um, as far as IoT goes, I was a data person for years and years and years. I, you know, I started a long time ago with Sybase. I've been very, very focused. Uh, most of my time running companies have been with hardcore data companies. When I got focused on IoT, it took me a little while, but my, my focus was always more about data than the chipsets and the communications, and, and that came later. Um, but for the first probably three years, I would have conversation after conversation with people and say, yeah, but, but, but the data is really important. How are you going to curate it? And how are you going to treat the data? And I would get this kind of nod and say, oh, yeah, we, we really care about data. And I could go three, two, one, and go. And they would say, but we're just not there yet. And that happened over and over and over. And uh, so I decided I would try to um, at least frame something that could be a discussion and I ended up teaming uh, with a couple of other people, my friend Emil Berthelsen from Gartner and Violet Riffy, who had, uh, was at, at Hitachi. And we actually wrote a book on, on, um, on, on IoT architecture. And really, at the core of it was really the, the focus on data. And while it took me a while to kind of get to that point, unlike Beth in uh, The Queen's Gamut, the, the correlation here is once you see it like that, once you see it holistically, you can't unsee it. And so, yeah, notwithstanding the arrogance of the quote, um, I, I think that the whole notion of data and the importance of a holistic architecture is something that has been kind of near and dear to my heart over the last probably five years as we see this whole market unfold. Thank, thank you very much. Good, good, interesting information. And I love the series. And Anya did say on SNL that millions and millions of chess sets were sold as a result of the show. But she thinks about two dozen people actually learned how to play. 
Just let that sink in. Okay. Yes, it was the it was the fashionable got to have that on my coffee table or on my Zoom call, right? But what do you do with it? Well, yeah, we'll dust it. Okay. Let's go to Tom Raftery. Tom sent us a quote from Morpheus played by Lawrence Fishburne in the movie, of course, The Matrix, 1999 American sci-fi action film, a cyberpunk subgenre of sci-fi, I understand. Morpheus, a human freed from the Matrix and captain of the Nebuchadnezzar. Desert. Apparently, when Lawrence Fishburne saw the script, he didn't understand why other people were confused, but he said, I doubt if they'll ever make the movie because it was so smart. Ah, here's the quote. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. Ooh, what a quote. Tom, how does this deal with IoT? Talk to me. Well, that's exactly what IoT is. It's just electrical signals interpreted not so much by your brain, but by a computer at some point. Uh, you know, we've got the whole analytics suite, but we've got sensors out there corresponding to taste and smell and sight, the whole thing. We've got sensors out there which are analyzing the environment around us, whether it's in a manufacturing site, whether it's out in the field, whatever it is. And they are sending that data back to, as I say, whatever it is that we're using for our brain where it's being interpreted, where we're turning those electrical signals into insights and acting, hopefully, on them. Thank you very much. And smartly, we know that. Thank you very much, Tom. Interesting quote. I guess there is a movie quote about IoT, if you just, the way you described it. Yes. All right, now we all know that's the one. Let's go to Dave Freeman's quote. Dave has picked a quote from Ricky Bobby, played by Will Ferrell, Pharrell, whatever you want to call him. Yeah, Rob likes that. Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby, 2006 American sports comedy film. And Ricky Bobby, if you don't know, is a NASCAR driver who only believes in winning throughout his career. Let's leave it there. Interesting movie. He's quite the actor and the comedian. The quote is, I'm not sure what to do with my hands. We'll just have to see what Dave does with that one. Dave, go ahead. <laughs> well, first, I love doing it on any kind of video thing of me. So um, there it is. Stupid dad, you were done. Um, I, there was nothing. I just like laughing. But I, I think I guess to Don's theme, probably most of our customers would say, I don't know what to do with my data. Um, so, so, uh, and it, it is much more friction than one would imagine logic. And here's how you can use the data is still probably about four years from using the data at most of the companies um, that aren't historically, they don't have data people or, or have that type of thought process there. So I'd say most companies entering the internet of things uh, still don't really understand how their data can help them, even if you tell them. Even even if you tell them, even if Ron teaches them how to spell IoT, Tom Rafter, he talked to me. Yeah, no, David Dave is absolutely right, and you know I've come across a number of examples of not just that, but of companies having treasure troves of data for one particular project and not realizing there's a whole nother left field use of that data, which, you know, it makes it incredibly valuable to somebody else. And suddenly it can become a secondary source of, of revenue as well. And I have a, a an example in mind. If, if, if you want, I can go into it or we can like, we can move on with more quotes. I, I don't want to hijack your show. Why don't you just everybody okay with the quick example from Tom? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. 
Super. So uh, Continental, who are the, you know, everyone knows them as kind of this manufacturer of tires. Uh, but in fact, that's only about 40% of their revenue. About 60% of the revenue comes from these smarts that they sell to vehicle manufacturers that are in most of our cars. We just don't realize it's there because it's sold directly to the manufacturers. And they embarked on a predictive maintenance program. They called it the Remote Vehicle Data Platform to collect data from cars. Most cars now connected. So they wanted to collect the data from cars for predictive maintenance, and they were going to sell this as a solution to service center managers and fleet managers. They were approached by a weather company. And the weather company said to them, hang on a sec, you're collecting all this data from cars, time of day, GPS, external air temperature, windscreen wiper status, fog light status, etc, etc, etc. The weather company realized that the cars were mini weather stations broadcasting real-time weather information. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, this predictive maintenance project had this whole new revenue stream that it had never occurred to them. And it is, it, they've gone ahead and they've signed a deal with the weather company and now they have this whole new revenue stream. So data can have lots of different uses. You just need to think a little left field as you're collecting data because there can be other uses for it. Tom, I think that was our first headline, and we haven't even gotten to that part of the show yet. So that counts for one for you. Thank you very much. IoT in the in the real world news. Thank you very much. Uh, Rob Tiffany's been so patient. Rob, I'm up to your quote, and the quote is from Sorry. Gordon Gecko. No, 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 no. We like this is a conversation. We want information. We want sharing of ideas. This is perfect. Uh, so Rob said a quote from Gordon Gecko, G-E-K-K-O, played by Michael Douglas. We have such iconic actors here in the movie Wall Street. 1987 American drama film and uh, interestingly enough it was written by co-written and directed by Oliver Stone who made the film as a tribute to his father who was a stockbroker Lou Stone during the Great Depression so here's the quote and this actually the story Tom shared is a perfect segue to your quote Rob I was thinking about that the most valuable commodity I know of is information Perfect, Tom. You didn't even realize it. Rob, how'd you find this quote? Very interesting. Go ahead, Rob Tiffany. It's probably because I've watched Wall Street a thousand times, maybe. And who knew there'd be so many good one-liners in that movie? You know, like how many yachts can you ski behind, Gordo? Anyway, uh, I love it. It hits home to kind of what we're talking about. What are we getting from these devices? We're getting data and we're turning that into information and meaning. Um, I've been a data guy a long time, kind of like everybody else here. Like, you know, Don was doing Sybase SQL Server and I was working on Microsoft SQL Server. Um, I really thought that being a data scientist meant select star. Apparently it's something more intense now. Maybe you have to add a where clause or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the crux of it, right? It's the data. And then from the data, you drive an insight and the insight drives, as Tom said, it drives an action. What are you going to do about it, right? To drive a positive outcome. We're all kind of in this outcome business, right? Are we? Uh, which is what Ron is super focused on. He just kind of starts with the outcome, right? Instead of saying, Let's, let me tell you about all this tech. Just jumps right to the story that people want. So yeah, Gordon had it right on the money. <clears throat> and so I'm a fan. I think it hits home with IoT. 
Thank you very much. And you've just given us a perfect segue to Ron Rock's quote. I don't know what you guys had for breakfast, but this is very, very interesting. All of these threads coming in and out here. So the quote Ron has selected is from the movie Jerry Maguire, played by Tom Cruise. Ah, Rob is having another movie attack here. 1996 American romantic comedy drama sports film. Jerry Maguire is a glossy 35-year-old sports agent working for Sports Management International SMI, and he has a life-altering experience about his role as a sports agent. And here is the quote, iconic four words, let them hit home, show me the money, talking about insights and actions and outcomes. Ron Rock, tell us about the quote, please. Show me the money. That's what, <laughs> that's what every customer wants to talk about. Everybody aspires to be innovative, to be thought leaders, to bring new ideas into the organization to provide better service. They all talk a great game, but at the end of the day, it comes down to show me the money. They're the solutions that sell. We have over 20 solutions in our, in our catalog, but only three are selling like hotcakes. And all three of them have very specific ROI. Yeah, they're providing better service, but they don't really care. Yeah, they're, they're, they're having better retention because of it, but they don't really care. All these soft, uh, halo effects from IoT, which has been elusive since the Coke machine at MIT in the 80s. We've all been trying to figure out when is IoT going to actually cross the chasm and scale. And by the way, I still think we're looking, we're getting closer, but we're looking for that ultimate ROI. The, the analogy I've been using with people lately is the smoke detector. You wouldn't imagine being into a building right now without smoke detectors. Every house, every office, every room has it. And oh, by the way, we know how it works. It just sits there, doesn't do anything. And if it goes off, we know what to do. We take action. IoT is still struggling to be that ubiquitous, that simple. And at the core, we got to figure out how to show you the money. Thank you. Show me the money, Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the key word I got out of that, Ron, interesting enough, is ubiquitous. Hey, what Tesla was predicting in 1926, it is, right? How connected are we all, even if you don't have a smart home? By the way, who, ha- who on the panel has a smart home? Truly smart home where everything is. Quasi yes. on Rob. Yes, Ron. Anybody else? I don't yet. I do have a blink camera at my door, which I rely on before I will open the door if I don't expect anybody. Anyway, very interesting. Yeah, I've been toying with the idea of, of smart linking the whole home, but I'm not, show, not so sure. Anyway, when I get to my 10 million square foot mansion, then I'll have to have it. Yes, we all By know the way, that. Bonnie, just FYI, and it supports a lot of what we're talking about yes. here. Even when you buy the smart home or the room of vacuum cleaners, they're still for the techie geeks. They're yeah. still they're still the flashing light on your VCR. They just don't work, right? You got to be a tinkerer <laughs> to get it all happening. So even that industry, while it's making great progress, there's still a long way to go before we just plug it in like a smoke detector and it works. I will I will wait then. I'll wait, Ron. You're going to signal me when it's time if I live that long. <laughs> and cars, look look at all the the gadgets in, in my new car when I drive. It has a posted speed limit of whatever it thinks the posted speed limit is for that section of the highway or the road and then it tells me how fast I'm going. And when I got the car it was giving me a 1 mile over alert. Blink blink, it's 45 you're doing 46. I said I can't live like I can't drive with a flasher. So I changed it to 5 or 10 miles over because I 
think I know what I'm doing. But these these technologies, this connectedness, how does the car know what the speed limit is on the side? I can't even see a speed sign is telling me what it is. It's not always right. But anyway, that's another story. Let's go to our headlines. Rip from the headlines, the purpose of the show. But we've already covered so much great information about IoT. Don Deloach, I'm looking at the headline number two you sent. I like the headline. I'm going to ask you to spend about two minutes. If anybody on the panel has anything to say about this, just raise your hand before Don finishes. And then I'll pick one from you, Tom, and we'll go around the table. I'll let you all know in the chat which headline I'm picking for round number one. So Don, pick this one. Nanotech plus IoT brings exciting possibilities. Don Deloach, talk to me. Sure. So, I mean, I, I think it's no surprise to anybody that's in this technology business that the, um, the footprint keeps uh, shrinking. The cost drops over time. And, and the, the computational capabilities grow so that the, the technology becomes more accessible. When you think about where we're going from a nanotech standpoint, where you're basically building you the manufacturing processes atom by atom, so you're really shrinking it down to what seems like inconceivable levels, what you can then do with that in terms of um, uh, consumable devices that are inside you uh, or, or very, very small uh, embedded devices in the infrastructure can then interact with one another in a way that, that brings about unbelievable results. And I'll give you one example. So let's think about healthcare. Um, everybody's going to have a genetic scan at some point pretty soon because the cost is dropping so much. So you've got this baseline footprint that you can use. Um, everybody's house is going to be more and more implemented. So you've got all this information about the ambient environment you're in. You've got your medical records and this historical view of who you are as uh, you know, the makeup as a person. And right now, today, um, uh, in, in the wake of COVID, we can do um, much, much faster detection of where COVID is by sampling wastewater. This is done at wastewater treatment plants and it's using lab materials and stuff that are much, much bigger than nanotech. But the time is going to come where that type of, of, of wastewater epidemiology can be implanted into the plumbing on a mass scale. And when you combine that data with the data signature from your genetic map and, and the wearable environment, you know, what your, what your lifestyle is, what your ambient, you know, uh, environment is, what that will do by way of, among other things, early disease detection will create a tectonic shift in the overall economics and delivery of healthcare. That's one example of where the, 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 the progression of nanotech and IoT will go. Thank you very much. Let's move on to another headline. Tom Raftery, I'm looking at your headline number two. You say Seoul, S-E-O-U-L, uh-huh, to expand network of poles to charge vehicles and drones. Fascinating. Tom, break it down for us. Sure. I mean, it's one headline that, you know, speaks to a global trend. I mean, this is happening not just in Seoul, but in many cities globally, that the cities are getting smarter. And in a lot of cases, they're using existing infrastructure or they're augmenting existing infrastructure. And in this case, they're talking about using uh, lighting poles. And of course, those are ubiquitous in cities. And they have the added advantage that in many cities now we're switching from incandescent lighting to LED. And of course, the LED light bulbs are A, 
connected and B, require far less power. So there's actually power left over or the poles themselves are wired for more power than they actually require. So it's quite straightforward to add additional uh, services, not services, additional uh, things, <laughs> for want of a better <laughs> word, to them. Sensors for things like noise, uh, CCTV cameras, uh, charging infrastructure for electric vehicles. Um, I took delivery of a, a new car myself recently. It's a VW ID4, their new all-electric car. And, you know, it's great. I, I'm lucky enough to have a house with a driveway, but not everybody is that lucky. And so we're seeing things like in London, for example, London have got together with a company called Ubitricity uh, to put charging, put car chargers at street side in street lights for exactly that kind of scenario. And they've done it in several of the boroughs of London so that people who don't have home charging capability can now charge on the street side by just plugging into a street light. So cities are becoming far, far smarter and they, they're able to use existing infrastructure to do so. Fascinating. Thank you very much. Let's go on. And by the way, I spoke on another one of my shows, OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association, Automotive Insight. I spoke to an attorney, a real estate attorney, who is now dealing with the ins and outs of complexities of charging stations. Where do you put them? Commercial charging stations. What piece of land? What kind of access? The ADA, Americans with Disabilities Association, dealing with how do people get to them and where are they? And are they in a parking lot of a major shopping area where people have something else to do where their car is charging? And who owns them? And the footprint, the physical, the the uh, intellectual property, if you will, is very complicated. It's a new burgeoning part of law, of real estate law. Interesting. And technology. So thank you very much. Dave Friedman has sent us the following here. Talking about smart homes, we just did that. Let's explore a little more. The headline Dave selected from techchexplore.com. Amazon, Apple, and Google unite to certify smart home devices. Dave Friedman, talk to me. Uh, well, I think they. there's a couple things here. One is that uh, um, we're still pretty far from the Jetsons. Uh, where everything <laughs> kind of starts working. But if you remember in that, it all starts going to hell at the end. Um, but uh, uh, for sure, the big companies would like to control this market a bit more. And and for them, they have the wherewithal to actually have a data-based uh, model where each particular company does not. Um, it does put them in a stronger position and, and therefore – uh, very graciously um, um, providing this certification. So everyone making all the locks and, and various sensors in the home uh, will work with their, 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 their types of platforms. Um, the difference in this market, and this is the hardest thing, is that if you think of the various interactions between device A, like a door lock and a light bulb and um, some smart blind, they are so broad that it's very uh, hard to solve all this stuff. And that's why this uh, broadly connected home is something that is um, maybe it's somewhere just after uh, we have driverless vehicles on the road. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. Thank you. We'll see. We'll see is right. Keep your eyes out for them. Will we know? Okay, let's go on. Rob Tiffany has sent me. I like headline number three, Rob. I think this is one of the the core issues of connectivity is whose data is it anyway? So the headline is how zero trust should be expanded 
to include your embedded devices and IoT. Trust, does it mean anything? How do we how do we find it, get it back, keep on it? Is it horse out of the barn door? Rob Tiffany, what's the headline? Yeah. Well, you know, everybody on this panel here, you know, we're all been part of this IoT megatrend. We're trying to push all this forward, uh, get to that value, um, show me the money. But we have some headwinds that are preventing us from getting there. And they're not about how good our technology is. It's about things like security and complexity and other stuff. And so security issues can completely derail this entire megatrend. Actually, security can derail all of digital transformation, Industry 4.0 and everything. Uh, it, and so it's, you have to, so I'm kind of taking time off from inventing the future to uh, try to look at this a lot more deeply right now. So zero trust, you know, in the past, people thought, oh, well, I have a network and I've got servers and I'm going to, it's a castle. I'm going to put a moat around it called a firewall and stuff like that. And once everything's inside there, though, they can do whatever they want. It's a free for all. Well, it turns out that's not working out too well. The, the hackers are too good. They're hacking everything. Gosh, it seems like, speaking of headlines, there's headlines almost every week now um, from individuals and nation state hacker attacks. IoT was exposed back in 2016 with this thing called Mirai, which was a botnet that literally took down big chunks of the whole internet, including one whole country in Africa, by the way. And so... We really got to focus on this if we're all going to succeed in this IoT thing. And so zero trust is I'm not trusting anything anywhere. All the messages, I'm going to authenticate over and over again every step of the way. I'm going to encrypt. I'm going to auth every time. I'm going to firewall. And so if it's at the device level, you know, it turns out, you know, everybody's got all these great IoT platforms uh, and edge things, but uh, the devices continue to be the weak link in the chain. Um, there's just too many devices out there with some kind of default password and stuff like that. There's no encryption on them. And so just doing simple stuff like changing that default password, making sure, you know, and you know, some of the, some of the times I'll say things and I know it's just not real. Like you'd love to have things like encrypted drives on your devices. You would love to have secure boot on your devices. But I also know that most of the, Internet of Things, especially in the industrial world, is is old stuff, and we're retrofitting old things. And I know it's harder to change those things. So we have got to really tackle that. It, it might mean rotating security tokens all the time. It means firewalling and doing checks all along the pathway from at the device itself, as it's leaving the device, as it's going across the network, long before it gets to a platform or a customer's critical infrastructure. Every hop that thing makes needs to be checked. Everything needs to be encrypted all the time. Um, when it's people, you know, we have multi-factor authentication. Security is, you know, it's a this whole defense in depth. It's a multi-layered thing. And of course, as we all know, security is a journey. We'll never get it right. We will never fix security, but we have to keep moving. And so zero trust is, is one way to take a look at that. Thank you very much. Great reality check, Rob. Let's move to Ron Rock. Ron, I'm picking something that, well, we wish we didn't have to talk about it, but we still do. And we're coming out of a year of pandemic, a year plus. So here's the quote. Here's the headline. Ron has selected how COVID-19 accelerated the dominance of the Internet of Things. Ron, talk to me. Sure. So to start with, when COVID hit, we all started working from home. And these buildings never had an off switch. 
They weren't designed to be turned down. So all of a sudden I needed to worry about everything in that building while nobody was there, water systems, security systems, HVAC systems, et cetera. Furthermore, when we started to bring workers back for essential jobs, we had this concern about contact tracing and could we use technology to help save lives? But it was more than just us being closer than six feet for more than 10 minutes. We learned halfway through the pandemic that air quality mattered a lot and feedback, being able to communicate with people in the space mattered. These were all brand new challenges that had never existed before. And so it turns out that IoT and specifically IoT in smart building technology was able to add a tremendous amount of value in that space. Uh, with MicroShare, we ended up delivering contact tracing. We got an email two weeks ago, probably the best email a CEO will ever get. Thank you, MicroShare. You saved lives. Mm. They had an employee die earlier on, and they literally told us that they believe that the health of their employees was because of what we were doing. But now we face another new challenge as we come back to work, reoccupy post-COVID. What does that mean? We hear a lot about hybrid workplace. Does that mean everybody shows up on Wednesdays and nobody comes to work on Mondays and Fridays? Or, you know, depending on where you are in the world, are you double vaccinated or not? Does that mean vaxxers can come in three days a week and non-vaxxers two days a week? What about the support staff? How do I buy supplies, maintenance, electricity for buildings going forward, not knowing at all who's going to be in my building when? And so IoT, it turns out, is, is in a great position to what like occupancy, predictive cleaning, environmental monitoring, contact tracing, touch-free feedback, all of these solutions are great additions. And while customers started to buy these things in Q4 of 2019, we saw rapid acceleration in 2020. And even now in, in June 1st, just this morning, we had a large global pharmaceutical re-up tens of thousands of more contact tracing. What does that tell us about where we are in the pandemic and, and what's happening? But all of this has, I think, created an awareness to customers, going back to show me the money, ROI around how this technology can really help. Thank you. Great overview. And, and so real. the reality check, Ron, is that our, as companies come back, where will the employees be? Where can they be? Where should they be? Where does the business need them to be? Where do the employees as people want to be and need to be? And I know there was a headline, I think, in the New York Times a couple of days ago. A lot of people are not going back to work at all for those companies. They want to do something else. They've had an epiphany. Some of us see this as we took a year off from what we were doing from that Thing we used to call the rat race, right? Too many obligations, too many places to be, too many places to go and look like and sound like a certain thing. And we took a year off, some of us, at least on our social lives. What do we want to do now? It was an interesting pause. There was, of- a st- there was a status, a, a, a number out there, Bonnie, in the last six weeks, as many as 70% of people surveyed are thinking about changing jobs. Yep. So yep. think about retention and what are you going to yes. do to create an environment where these people want to stick around? Exactly That's right. A That's challenge. a whole new future of work. It's a future we didn't imagine because we didn't think that the nature of work, the place and time of work would change so quickly, be just so disrupted. And what do people, what are they thinking about? Well, we had that pause instead of 
rinse and repeat over and over again. We had the pause. What do we want to do now? Thank you. I think we can squeeze in one more round of, of headline. I want to say predictions because in a way we are. So let's see if we can quickly go through another round. I've got them all teed up for all of you except Ron. I'll put one in the chat for you. Don Deloach, let's look at headline number three. VCs bet big on ESG startups. Let's see if we can keep these to two minutes each so we can go right through a second round. Don, you're up. Go. So uh, when you think about the progression of IoT, we are we are we are progressing to a hyperconnected. There's no doubt about it. But there's also a progression in society and a heightened awareness and interest on doing good for the planet. The the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals are are a good example of that. There's a lot of impact investing funds that are are in, investing along uh, um, uh, ESG uh, uh, with ESG and and. There's definitely a link. So the growing focus on impact calls out that we need to be good stewards of the planet. And most people think of that in terms of water and climate and energy, but it's also things like underserved populations, food poverty, housing, crime, mobility. All of these are equalizers that have a profound effect. So as we move to this hyper-connected society, um, the, the, the manifestation of the data and the capabilities we have and the insights we have can go along with impact investing and in this, the impact investors, the, the only thing really at the end of the day is it, it's a, a function of looking at the investment from a long-term rather than a short-term view. Um, fundamentally, uh, show me the money, as Ron said, everybody wants to see that. Impact investors aren't out to lose money, but they just view the, the opportunity associated with impact investing is that doing good and making money are not mutually exclusive, and that's guiding this direction. Thank you very much. Let's go round two. Let's see. We're still on round two, Tom Raftery. I'm looking. Let me get you up here on speaker. And Tom Raftery, headline number three, meet Dick, the weed-killing robot with a Tesla heart. Oh, we got to hear this one. Tom, go ahead. (laughs) So, yeah, very basically, this is a story about ag tech. And, I mean... Don talked very much there about ESGs and the importance of them. And, you know, this is something that's something that's very close to my heart. I mentioned I was a sustainability analyst and, you know, the, the book on my desk here beside me is uh, The New Climate War by Michael Mann. I run a podcast called Climate 21 every Wednesday. And one of the biggest emitters of carbon globally today is agriculture. And so anything that can help agriculture reduce its emissions is a good thing. And that's one of the things that this this particular smart robot does. This smart robot goes out and it, it, uh, it, it runs on uh, batteries. So hence the reference to Tesla, because, you know, it's clickbait. That'll grab people's attention. They'll click on it when they see the word Tesla. But actually, the, the, the robot in this case does have a used Tesla car battery within it. That's what it, that's what it uses to power itself. So there is an actual link there. And it goes along. It, it, it zaps weeds with electricity. So the farmer doesn't have to use uh, pesticides, herbicides in this case. And herbicides themselves have a huge carbon footprint and also transporting herbicides from the manufacturer to the farmer has a significant carbon footprint. Transporting electricity into the battery to do the same job has a, f- a much smaller carbon footprint. And, you know, th- there's, there's lots of other things in the article about it. Basically, the, the overall big picture is ag tech is helping farmers now reduce their carbon footprint, but at the same time, increase their outputs. So it's a, it's a really good thing. 
Thank you very much, Tom Raftery. And let's go to prediction. Head- I th- still think these are predictions. Sorry. Dave Friedman has sent me headline number three, Dave. You say the future of the IoT, batteries not required. Dave. Well, I, I think um, a lot of there's been talk here about the architecture of the Internet of Things. And really, I think the the well, I sort of hate the phrase Internet of Things, it, it's descriptive in that there will be things that are on the edge and they create data and getting data from them is super hard. And um, one of the, the areas that we, if we solve the networking, we haven't necessarily always solved the power. I think that was even one of uh, Tom's, Tom's elements about trying to reuse infrastructure where power already exists. Batteries is another problem where the the Moore's law moves at a dramatically faster rate than our ability to make uh, enhancements in, in power and batteries. Um, so it's just great that there are people always working on the the sort of the holy grail of uh, different ways to power, uh, I call it a sensor at the edge, so we can then you know get this data and make better decisions. So it is a an enabling technology for sure for IoT. Thank you very much. Let's go to Rob Tiffany. This is an interesting one. Headline number one, why IoT developers, parentheses, still, close parentheses, matter. Rob, talk to me. That just sounds like clickbait, actually. You know, (laughs) there really hasn't been an IoT without developers, actually. Um, In fact, I always remind, you know, so Eric said, you know, we make the connectivity stuff, cellular 5G and everything like that. And you also hear about, People talking about no code and low code. Uh, some platform players like Ayla actually have a lot of stuff baked in on devices. And so you don't have to do a lot of work, which is great. But a lot of times what I see is it's developers writing code on a device or configuring device. It's a developer writing code on the server, the cloud platform, consuming the data, doing something with it. And so a lot of times I'll be in strategy meetings and it's always helpful for me to remind people, you really need to put yourself in the shoes of the developer because most of IoT and this whole ecosystem is being built by developers. More times than not, IoT is a consulting gig. It just really is. You know, I know we think we're building these self-serve, easy to use platforms that a customer can do it themselves. All you have to do is look at a pie chart of who's making money in IoT and you'll quickly find out it's the global SIs and consultants. They didn't invent anything, but they're making all the money, right? And so it is, it, it's still about developers and it's, it's still an important thing. You know, we're not, we're not at that no code place yet. We're working on it, uh, but it's a thing. And then also just a comment on Don with ESG, you know, obviously, you know, Tom's been helping me out. We've obviously totally blown it on doing an impact startup because we're just giving stuff away <laughs> to help solve crisis by giving away IoT technology and giving away digital twin technology to help nonprofits uh, make an impact as Don was talking about on sustainable development goals. So I thought we were doing a good thing, Tom, but obviously we've missed out on the whole startup upside. Oh, well, maybe next time. Oh, That's well. all I got. Another show. Thank you very much. We have time for one more headline. Ron Rock, I have two from you. I'm going to let you pick which one. Uh, We could talk about IoT-enabled architecture for social distancing during the pandemic. You already touched on pandemic. Another one is IoT goes from nice to have to need to have in the COVID-19 era, says LoRa or LoRay Alliance. I'll let you pick which one. Ron Rock, you're up. 
Well, the shift is, as I talked about er earlier, that ubiquitousness of the smoke detector versus a, gee, it's a neat little toy to really, I must have it. But I think two of the barriers that that were, were driving and they're getting more and more exasperated, one is privacy. You know, as we did contact tracing, it's great that you're trying to keep me from getting COVID, but I don't want you to know how often I'm going out for a cigarette break or that Don and I are hanging out in the cafeteria more frequently than, than actually working. So privacy is a really big deal. And the second challenge I see is who owns the data? I love Tom's example about the car manufacturers, but I happen to be working with one of the largest rental car companies in the world, and they buy a million cars a year. And they want that data and the car manufacturer says, oh, that's great. We'll sell it to you. Well, wait a minute. I bought the car. It's my car. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I've paid for it. What about the data? And if I rent that car to a renter and I'm flying down the road at 90 miles an hour, uh, is that Ron Rock's data? Are you allowed to use the data that, of my behavior in that car? And if the braking system starts to misbehave, Bosch says, hey, my braking system isn't working properly. Bosch thinks they own it. The manufacturer thinks they own it. The car rental company thinks they own it. We have the same problem in smart buildings, elevator data. Who owns that? I bought the elevator. I want to see that. So I think, Bonnie, there's a lot of challenges in front of us as we get the technology done, which everybody on this panel talked about today pretty well. Now you start to get to the data. And in the data lies the value, but in the data is a whole lot of complexities that aren't technology. They're around human behavior, ownership, and value. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. And, and the ownership is something we've been talking about on my, it used to be called The Future of Cars with Game Changers, Ron, and they changed the name of the series to The Future of Mobility and Manufacturing this year to be more inclusive, plus one of the sponsors is in the manufacturing sector. Uh, but interesting is who, who owns the damn data? We've been talking about this for years is what do I say if I say, now if I have a smart car, what do I say in my car? Is it being recorded? You can get Alexa in your car. You have Siri in your car. What is the back and forth? You touch that touch that little microphone what is somebody saying something important in the background and you're holding the little mic button down who hears it who gets it same thing with our smart right our smart home runners our alexa in our homes how much are they recording how much they know who owns the data privacy is as i said before the horse why close the barn door the horse is already out in all of its flavors so i you know what we have a minute and a half left on i'm not going to get to your your third headline i appreciate that though i i want to thank the five of you so much for your lively interview action and your appreciation that IoT and something we very rarely talk about on this series is the actual thing called Internet of Things. That's why I was so eager to do the headlines. So I want to thank you for bringing us all up to date, the idea of sensors around us. I have a question for anybody. When will we get a smart front door outside light that will tell you you've got so many bugs that climbed inside the light that the dimness of the light coming through the glass, it's time to take the darn thing down on a very tall ladder with somebody who's very steady on a ladder, clean it out or do you need to really change the bulb to get a decent light outside your front door does anybody know when that part of smart home is coming bug alert in front door anybody does anybody deal with that is it time for a new bulb or do you just wash the fixture out? That to me would be something that would be a very helpful sensor to tell me the reason you're de dealing with a half lit light outside isn't the bulb. It's because the thing is there anyway, neither here nor there. Tom Raftery, thank you so much. Don Deloach, thank you so much. Don, you introduced me to Ron Rock and Dave Friedman a week ago. So thank you for that. Thank you all. Rob Tiffany, wonderful to have you back. Does anybody have one word we should be aware of for the future of IoT? Anybody 
already have what we also already said ubiquitous. I got that from Ron Rock. Any other word that we should be aware of before we go? Because I'm just about ready to close. One word come to mind? Sustainable. Okay. Anybody else have another keyword? IoT? Cost. <clears throat> Cost. Okay. Money? Data. We got those. And I'm going to bring up one word. Two two names. The Jetsons and Nikola Tesla. Oh, my. Who would have thought in 2021 we would still be talking about a TV show from how many decades ago that told us where we might want to be or might not want to be that might happen or might not happen? And where are we now? So thank you again to all of you. A shout out again to Dana Corder at SAP. We wave goodbye. Thank you to Ira Burke for sponsoring the series year after year after year. Uh, panelists, stay on. I want to talk to you for a second, please. And I just want to say here's my normal call to action. Fasten your And shout out to Aaron Keller at Voice America Business channel our engineer extraordinaire he started out 26 when he started working with me and now he's 68 because i put him through his paces thank you aaron here we go fasten your seatbelt whatever you're driving keep your eyes on the road keep your hands on the wheel there was a song what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today just like don deloach just like tom raftery just like dave friedman just like rob tiffany just like ron rock have a great one bonnie d graham signing off bye-bye everybody wave Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. 